Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. church tonight. Amen. And I don't get up and just say that every other service, but I really feel like God has, has given us something. So I want you to, to just listen with all your heart. It'll be the enemy's pleasure to distract you. Amen. So what I'm talking about is something I feel in the spirit. I'm not wanting you to stay awake to hear me. I want you to stay alert to hear the Lord. The book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. I'll quote this, refer to it so often here, um, but I just want to take it as a text this evening, and I want to talk about spiritual impartation. Amen. And so let's pray that God will, his word is anointed. I say it a lot, but let's ask God to prepare our hearts. Would you do that, Lord? I'm asking you to touch us this evening. I pray tonight, God, that you would just help my mind to be sensitive and my spirit sensitive, Lord, to your will this evening. I pray, God, that you will anoint us by the power of the Holy Ghost, not only to speak the word, but to receive the word. I'm asking you to help me to also have a listening ear as well, God. I want to hear what the Spirit is saying tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to talk about spiritual impartation. The word impart in this passage means to share with someone else what one possesses. And so we're going to impart, but you first have got to have someone that has possession of it and someone then that we can impart it to. Of course, sharing is a two-way street. It requires participation on both sides of that equation. In order to share something, there has to be a giver and there has to be a receiver. I understand this is pretty fundamental right now, but there has to be a giver and there has to be a receiver. I know people that have a very, very generous heart. They are very apt to give, but they're very difficult to give something to have a great spirit. You may know people on the other side of that coin. I know them as well. But there are people that have a very generous heart. But they are very close when it comes to receiving something from somebody else. And so there has to be a giver and there has to be a receiver in order for true impartation to take place. Impartation does not take place merely because someone like myself this evening is getting up, standing behind the pulpit and preaching a message or a sermon. Impartation only happens when the word is actually received. I can give all that I have. I can teach until the sun comes up in the morning. But if it is not received, 
then it will fall by the wayside. There is nothing that can take place. In all honesty, I've preached messages that were not received. And uh, for those who have ever spoken publicly, you know this, that you can tell when people are receiving you and when people are rejecting you. <laughs> they don't have to have their arms folded. And don't have to be shaking their fist. And um, you, there's, there can just be a closed avenue in the spirit, not just in this pulpit, but in, as a guest in other pulpits as well. And so impartation requires a certain response, or it requires, if I may say it this way, it requires a spirit of welcome of divine truth. I welcome you today, Lord, to speak into my heart and speak into my life. In order for there to be a transformation, there has to be a welcome of the spirit of transformation because God is a gentleman. He will not impose himself on us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We have to avail ourselves and be open to his spirit. At the end of life's journey, we're not going to be judged on how many messages we heard but we are going to be judged by how much we've been changed by that preaching, by that teaching into the image of Christ. Because we can hear a lot of preaching, hear a lot of teaching. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, ricochets off of our heart. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll sit through a message and think, I'm sure glad the preacher's preaching on that because I, I tell you so-and-so really, I hope they're listening because they really need that tonight. I was wondering how long it was going to take him to get on that. And so we sit in service and we just kind of pitchfork the word of God over and we divvy that out to who we feel like needs that when in fact we just need to come with our arms open and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Amen. I think the greatest difference, and I, I understand a broad statement here, but I think the greatest difference in apostolic ministry versus other things that we see in the world of Christianity today is the fact that we are preaching and teaching in hopes of true, significant change. We don't consider this to be entertainment tonight. I didn't come to the pulpit because I feel like I'm such a great orator, but I'm reaching tonight for change, significant, true change in the hearts and the lives of people to be challenged, to be different when we leave the house of God. I think the greatest burden of any ministry is not to simply become a seed scatterer, that we just just get up and just kind of scatter gun. And, and uh, if you've been around the block a little while, you probably have been exposed to a little bit of that, just kind of shoot at anything that moves in hopes of hitting something. When my son, um, when my son was in school, one of his um, good friends in school, his dad was a, a single man. He was just himself in the home, and he and his dad lived together, and and um, so one day he come home telling a funny story. He said, I went over there and, and uh, he said his dad was cooking spaghetti. And he said, hey, Justin, do you know how to tell when spaghetti noodles are done? He said, no, sir. And he just reached in the pot and he slung it up against the refrigerator. And he said, if it sticks to the refrigerator, <laughs> it's done. Sounds like the home of a bachelor, doesn't it? <laughs> So tonight our intention is not to just try to fling something against the wall in hopes that it sticks. That's just scattering seed. If that was the mindset of ministry, then we could just come to the podium and open the Bible, just kind of let it fall open and just start reading from any passage of Scripture. 
it would all be God's word. And therefore, it would all be pertinent to something in life. And, uh, but it, it's just scattering seed. I believe that the mindset of apostolic ministry is to see fruit growing in the lives of people within the body of Christ. Therefore, that approach takes prayer, it takes fasting, it takes preparation to find the mind of God for any service. The, the book is 66 books before us. There's thousands of subjects, and so it would be easy to just pick one and talk about it for 30 or 40 minutes and say, let's all stand. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's go home. But that's not how we approach ministry in the apostolic church. Amen. We need, we need uh, to find the mind of God, and we also have to have an understanding of the times and the seasons of, of a given local assembly. Paul said it this way. He said that everything that is lawful is not always expedient. And I know that we kind of use that scripture in one bracket or one context, but I understand how we generally quote that or what we mean generally when we are talking about that, but I want to challenge you with an additional thought tonight. Several years ago, one of the churches in our district um, had four ladies in their church that went to New York City for a girls' weekend away. On their way back, it was in the wintertime and the roads were icy, and on their way back from their trip on their way to the airport to come home, they were involved in a very horrible automobile accident in which two of those ladies lost their lives. And so for that church, it was a season of loss. As a matter of fact, it wasn't very long after that until the very same church on a Sunday morning, um, while one family was in the, on the highway in front of the church waiting to turn left into the church parking lot, they were waiting for some oncoming traffic. Someone came behind them and hit them from behind and um, killed the family that was in that car. There were church members in the parking lot that watched all of this unfold. It was a season of horrendous loss and sadness for the church whose pastor is a personal friend of mine. It would have been, um, I don't think it would have been in order to follow all of that up with a revival because it was a season of sorrow. And to understand the season that a local assembly is in. And so we have to prayerfully come to the pulpit. I feel the Holy Ghost. I really feel the Holy Ghost tonight. And so we have to understand the times when we enter into a pulpit to preach a message, not just to take up a little bit of time to mark something off of our to-do list. This particular church needed time to heal and certainly needed time to recover as much as possible. And so they needed someone that knew the time and understood the season of that particular church. And so that is the only way that we're going to have effective ministry is if we have the Spirit of God, the anointing of God to be present with us, not only on behalf of the speaker, but also on behalf of the recipient. With that being said, therefore, the greatest burden of ministry is to see fruit growing as a result of healthy, anointed preaching and teaching. Now James says this in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. He, James says that we must receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. 
So we have to have a meek and humble attitude or our posture, attitude and position in the presence of God is to receive with meekness the engrafted word because that's what it's going to take to save our souls. And then James follows that up by saying that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers only because if we just hear and don't do, then he said you deceive yourself because we feel a little churchy after having been to church. But if we just let it fall away, then we have nothing to take root in our life and be changed. And so never, never underestimate that it is the doing of the Word of God or the accomplishment of the Word of God in our life that brings true change. I can't just hear it, but i got to get up and do something about it now. I've got to feel challenged by the Word of God, and I don't... When I say challenge, I, I know that sometimes the word of the Lord, you know, God only has one way to display his mood or his feeling to the body, and that is through the preaching. Amen. So sometimes there's a very tender approach, and that's how the Lord feels. And, and then there's all the way the other side of that spectrum, and that's how the Lord feels. And so I pray very sincerely and very humbly that God would never let me come to this pulpit with my own agenda and with my own attitude. Because he just has clay to work with. Amen. And so I, I need to let the Spirit of God touch my mind and my heart and let me convey the presence, the attitude, the posture of the Lord. And so it's not just hearing that gets the job done. We've got to do something with what we've heard. Now there are people that are always looking for a fresh word from the Lord a fresh word from the Lord. But I wonder if the Lord is just waiting for us to do what we already know to do. I wonder what would happen if, if we attended just, you know, whatever church down the road and we just went in and, and so the preacher preached on this subject tonight and then the next night he preached on the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. After a while we'll be going, well, hey, what's the deal? But he might get up and say, well, hey, what's the deal? Because we're still not doing it. We still don't have it. And so we don't need an, uh, that, that repetitive nature, I don't think. I'm not suggesting that we do that. But God may want us to start living out what we already know. Apply that to our life. And so truth, more truth is imparted to us as we receive and obey the truth of the word that we already have. And I will tell you that, that we run a great risk of losing the revelation that we already have if we refuse to walk in the revelation that we know. We, refuse, we, we run the risk of losing greater, certainly greater revelation, but I believe that people can lose the revelation, amen, of the Word of God, the illumination of the Word of God when we just shut ourselves all to that. And so truth is imparted only as we receive the Word of God. And so just like a tree that has a branch grafted into it, that is what we are when we come into the presence of the Lord. Now, admittedly, I've never actually grafted a limb into a tree, but I do know people that have. And so I did a little bit of reading on it in preparation for this evening, and this is what my understanding of the process is. I'm not here to debate it, but I think I've got the big parts. First, you've got to cut that tree with a very sharp instrument, and you've got to cut it in a certain place, and you really need to cut it a certain way. And then you have to pull open that wound in the side of the tree because, in fact, that's what it is, is a wound in the side of the tree. And you've got to pull open that wound. 
found it interesting to note that it's not just about cutting it and it's not just about opening the wound, the wound but it is also in, in fact about exposing something that is called the cambium. The cambium is the tissue layer of the tree and in that cambium are the cells that are necessary for that plant to grow. This cambium or the tissue must be exposed on the branch and it must be exposed on the limb that is being grafted. And then you take the fresh cut branch and you put it inside the wounded place on the trunk of the tree. And then carefully you shut the limb inside that splice and you wrap it with a cloth or some, something of that nature. You wrap it around the limb tightly, binding it together. Some say that the cloth will become damp as the sap from the tree and the sap from the branch is weeping around the wound. However, the weeping process is what's necessary for the new branch to have the nutrients that it needs in order to grow. Now, I'm quite sure that many of you are able to take and make spiritual applications of that little process, but allow me to recap. In order to receive the engrafted word, there must be a wounding first. Amen. There has to be an opening in our spirit. Because we can come into the presence of God, whether it's in a formal service like tonight or whatever we may cloak it as, and we can be closed to what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm just going to ask you to answer to yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or even nod or anything of the anything in that fashion. But have you ever been in a church service or have you ever been in a prayer service and you and you heard somebody say, My, I sure feel the presence of the Lord and you didn't feel anything but like a stone cold rock. So it's entirely possible to be where God is doing something and be disconnected from what the Spirit of God is doing. And so I believe that the Word of God should strike us at the core of who we are. It should challenge us to change the Word of God. There is a requirement for the tree and for the branch to have the cambium exposed. Amen. There is a need for us to come to the house of God. Amen. And be met with a preacher that is anointed to preach the word of God. And we need to have a heart that has been exposed. The cambium needs to be raw in the heart and the mind of the speaker. And it needs to be raw in the heart and the mind of the hearer. In the absence of this balance, then we risk all of this not taking root. Amen. And so I want to come to the house of God. Amen. I'm going to tell you what. I'm just going to speak for every preacher in America. I'm just going to be bold, and I'm going to speak for every preacher around the world. Nobody likes to preach to a dead congregation. That's a tough assignment, friend. That is a tough assignment. I have had the misfortune of having those sermons that had a point at the end. You know, some you could just probably taper off if things aren't going well. But I've had the misfortune of having a sermon with a point and you're just like wading through waist deep mud and you got to keep going because you got to get to the point. And I'm going to tell you, everybody's glad when we all hear amen. And we have all been exposed to boring speakers, unanointed speakers. It's all right. Amen. I'm not going to think you're talking about me. 
We have all been exposed. It's a long ride, isn't it? Yes, it's a long ride. It's a long ride. Uh, you weren't ready for this much honesty on this wonderful Wednesday afternoon, but I'm going to tell you that, that we've got to have that merging of those two worlds. There needs to be a, there needs to be a God-anointed speaker, and there needs to be a God-anointed receiver. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God in order for there to be spiritual impartation. Otherwise, we're just kind of shooting at the wind. We're just anything that moves. Amen. And so I believe that we must be anointed together. In the absence of that, we are running the risk of nothing taking root. Now, we all desire to see the church grow and thriving and in like fashion. We desire, we desire to see our lives blessed by God. But all too often, we fail to count the cost of true spiritual impartation. You see, there's always been and there always will be a cost associated with moving forward. In order for Adam to have Eve as his wife, he first had to be wounded and something had to be removed from him. Amen. But the benefits far outweigh that season of being wounded and something being removed from him. And in order for Christ to have the bride, the church, he too was wounded. Amen. And the Bible says that blood and water are redemption and remission flowed from his side. Amen. So in order to have something to be born, something has got to be removed. Something's got to die in us. And so we've got to understand that for impartation to occur, something has to be wounded in order for something else to be grafted in. And so we want to grow, but we dread the process. We want to bloom and we want to expand. Amen. But we do not want to be wounded in the process. And so sometimes we come guarded. But I will promise you that every lady in this house will tell you that before birth there is travail. Amen. We have to understand that before, before there is a loss, before a gain, and there is death before resurrection. And so tonight, God wants to cut through the bark of our soul, the rough exterior that would say, not tonight, not now, I am not ready. God wants to cut through that. He wants to cut open our walls of self-protection that we sometimes cover ourselves with, even in church, even in the house of God. Even with our hands raised on the outside, there's something that's saying no on the inside. But God desires to pierce through our facade of self-righteousness and he wants to get into that tender, weeping, and vulnerable part of us. Can the church say amen? That's what he's aiming for tonight. That's what I am aiming for tonight. It is that tender place, that vulnerable place, that weeping place. It's that place in our lives where impartation can take place that place where our soul bleeds is where the spirit of God so the spirit of God can gain entrance I'm going to tell you there was some cutting Sunday morning in this service there was some there was some piercing of the spirit Sunday morning in this service amen God was cutting some things open and grafting some things in there was a soberness of his power and presence I hope that you didn't ignore that and, and, and move past it I hope that something was successfully grafted into your heart because you see the Lord doesn't cut us to wound us amen he doesn't just, he doesn't just wound us for the sake of wounding or for the sake of pain but he knows that it's only through broken places that can he, he can instill his power and that he can plant his purpose in us. Now, 
I'm going to go to another familiar passage of Scripture for a lot of people, and that's found in Genesis 32. I'm not going to take a text here as such. I'm just going to skip through a story. The story of Genesis, the story of Genesis 32 is an epic journey of one man's of one man's true change, authentic change. It's and it's a summary of of this life-altering event between a man by the name of Jacob and an angel of the Lord. And the Bible says that Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man or an angel with him until the breaking of day. And when we were alone at the end of our resources, you see, it's when we're at the end of ourself. Where was Jacob? The Bible says Jacob was alone. Amen. Will you say that? He was alone. Jacob was alone, left alone. And when he was alone, there wrestled an angel of the Lord with him until the breaking of day. And it's when we are alone, it's when we are at the end of ourself and the end of our own resources, it's then and only then that God often can come to us and do something in us and for us. But isn't it sad that too often we got to come to the end of our own rope? Amen. we got to come to the end of our own selves. I'm preaching to me tonight. Amen. But when he saw that he prevailed not against him, the Bible says the angel touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And Jacob said, and the angel rather said, let me go for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Because Jacob was at the end of himself. Amen. Jacob was, Jacob was standing at the threshold of reuniting with his brother Esau, whom he had done horrible. Amen. And so Jacob was having a, a get right meeting with Jesus, if you please. Amen. Amen. And so he's, when he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And so the angel looked at him and he said, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Amen. And so the angel says to him, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. And he blessed him there. I want to just say this again, just for good measure, that after this encounter, Jacob never ever referred to himself as Jacob again, but many other people did refer to him as Jacob did, as Jacob and so I will just say that to say this, that sometimes, amen, other people have a harder time forgetting your past. And they may try to hold that against you. But I'm going to tell you that if God's done a name change, then don't refer to yourself as Jacob ever again. Even no matter how many times people down the road and amen, off the sidewalk holler and they call you your old name, amen, Jacob understood I had a name change and he never referred to himself as that again. And so the angel blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over, the sun rose upon him and the Bible says, and it's an unusual word, at least for our day, and he halted upon his thigh. Or the scripture says he limped. That's what the word means. He hobbled or limped because he had been touched by the angel and he had been marked, if we please. I want to pause here and note some things about this encounter with Jacob that night. The first thing is that Jacob, the first thing that Jacob encountered that in this incident was the Lord in verses 20 through 26. You know, one, one writer said this, 
the, the, that he said this of solitude. He said the, uh, that solitude is the audience chamber of God. The audience chamber of God. Sometimes God can get us right there by ourselves, and you can feel, you ever felt alone in a crowd? You can be in a crowd of 2,000 people and feel the spirit, that spirit of solitude. That is that audience chamber of God. And when we're alone and can't be distracted, it's in that moment that we have to face ourselves. Inevitably, there are mirrors all around us and we can't escape. We can't escape who we are. 20 years before, Jacob had met the Lord when he was alone at Bethel. Don't discount times of being alone. Amen. God may show you some wonderful things in that, in that season. And now God graciously came to him in his hour of need. Now, I want to I find consolation tonight and share something with you that God always meets man at our point of need. God knows exactly how to deal with me. Amen. There may be people around you that just don't know how to handle you. I'm going to tell you something. God knows how to handle you. Amen. Some people say, well, I don't feel like I'm getting through to him. Well, the Lord's never raised his hand and counted himself a part of that group because he always knows what it takes to get our attention. Amen. Think about something with me. To Abraham, the Bible said of Abraham that he was a pilgrim and a sojourner. And so what did God use in order to get the attention of Abraham? In Genesis 18, amen, there were angels that were passing by. They were just sojourning. And so the Lord said, I'm going to use something that's common to you. Amen. And I will get your attention. And so to the sojourner, the angels of the Lord came to him as a traveler. To Joshua, who was a general. In Joshua chapter 5, God came to him as a soldier. Amen. When he came in, he said he beheld him as a soldier. Amen. The angel of the Lord. And so God knows how to get our attention. Amen. Jacob. And the man at the center of our story right now spent most of his adult life fighting and fussing with everybody. Amen. He was wrestling. Am I right? Amen. He, he wrestled with Esau. He wrestled with Isaac. He wrestled with his, he had this contentious relationship with his father-in-law, Laban. So the Lord said, I got to get your attention. So I'll send a fighter to you. <laughs> Amen. And so God came to him as a wrestler as a fighter. And so they wrestled tonight and to the dawning of day because God knows what it takes. And so don't ever curse whatever it takes to get our attention because thank God the Lord knew what it took to wake me up and he knew what it took to wake you up. And so you might look at that as one of the lowest moments in your life. You may look at that as one of the most miserable seasons of your life, and I'm going to tell you, heaven has a different point of view. Amen. Heaven has a completely different point of view because it was at that moment of brokenness. It was that at that moment of being crushed that the Spirit of the Lord could speak and our eyes could be opened and our spirit could respond. A.W. Tozer said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered the man. And so God conquers us. And so God conquered Jacob by weakening him. Secondly, Jacob met himself. He didn't just meet God on this journey, but Jacob met himself. In verses 27 through 32, more than anything else, I truly believe, underneath all the scams and all underneath all, all the schemes, Jacob really did want to be blessed of the Lord. He wanted the blessings of God. 
And, and I believe he is to be commended for that desire. But before we can begin to be like the Lord, we have to face ourselves. And sometimes that's not a pretty picture. I just got a sneaking idea. We didn't wake up this morning looking like you look right now. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry for that thrust, that mental image back on you that you caught this morning in the mirror, but that mirror wasn't lying. Amen. We had to face ourselves. And so the Lord asked Jacob, What is your name? That's what the angel said. What is your name? As far as the Genesis record is concerned, the last time Jacob was asked, What is your name? He told a lie. Amen. In Genesis 27 and 18 and 19, his father asked him an important question. He said, Who are you, my son? And this blind old father, amen. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. And so God knows what he's doing. Amen. God knows what he's doing. What is thy name? I want to see if you got it figured out by now because the last time you were asked what your name was, you lied about who you were. But now at this moment of brokenness, I'm going to ask you again the same question. What is thy name? Somewhere between there and there. Amen. The man got broken enough to say, my name is Jacob. Amen. God was asking him, amen, because he wanted to know, are you willing to admit who you really are? Are you willing Willing to admit what you really are. Amen. In the Bible, God was not asking him because he needed the information. You get that. Amen. In the Bible, receiving a new name signifies something very, very significant. When Abram became Abraham and Sarah became Sarah, and many, many name changes throughout the scripture. Amen. It was the dawning of a new day. And this was Jacob's opportunity to have a fresh start in his life. And so I just want to give you a little inside information tonight. In the Lord's sweeps down into our life and he says who are you that's not the time to lie that's not the time to try to make up something you'd rather be that's the time to say God here's who I am and here's what I've been he's not asking you for that information for his own record he knows who we are and who we aren't what we are and what we aren't he needs us to come to terms with who we are and who we're not and so by seeking God's blessing and finally being weakened enough to yield to God Jacob became that empowered prince. So when God rules over our lives, amen, when God rules our lives, rather, amen, then he can trust us with his power. But he's got to first make sure he rules. Amen. Because only those under his authority have a right to exercise his authority. And we start exercising the authority of God without being under his authority. We're running into dangerous, dangerous ground. He thought that seeing God face to face would bring death, but actually it brought life, and it was the dawning of a new day, and he had a new name and a new walk, and he had a new relationship with God. And so like Jacob, there must come a time in our lives where we must come to the end of ourselves, and we must reach that place that God desires to impart something transformational into our lives. Now no one this evening knew what I was going to be teaching on tonight, But I noticed, I'm sure because I was sensitive to this subject, that every one of our songs leading up tonight in our worship and praise was about being vulnerable in the presence of God. Amen. Just think back. (laughs) Just think back about that because God is wanting to prepare our hearts. And so we should thank God for those seasons when he deals with us. Now, unless we are spiritually bankrupt, we can certainly sense when God is trying to give birth to something in us. 
And when those seasons occur, we need to certainly take time to pray because I don't want the Lord to pass me by. There's an old hymn with a powerful message that says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. In Genesis 18, Abraham petitioned the Lord to tarry. He petitioned the Lord to linger. He sought those angels to abide a while. So when they pass by and he's in the tent door in the heat of the day, that's what the scripture says in Genesis 18, that he ran when he sensed that it was God. He ran to the tent and he told Sarah, his wife, to start kneading the bread, start baking some bread. He ran to the field and they told a young man to kill the fatted calf, put on some meat. I mean, that takes a while. It's not like saying, thaw out some hamburgers. <laughs> you don't want to kill the calf, kill the fatted calf. I mean, this is a drawn out process. And so he was saying to the angels of the Lord, he said, you sit here under the tree let me in the cool. Let me get some water. Wash your feet. In other words, he was doing whatever he could to get the presence of the Lord to stay, to abide there a while. I know a lot of you know the story, but for those who don't, you need to hear it that it was in that abiding presence of the Lord. Amen. After they had washed themselves and after they had had a, a meal together, and when it was all said and done, the angels of the Lord said, there's going to be a child born. It was the child Isaac. It was a son of promise. Amen. Can I tell you tonight that lingering gives birth to the Spirit and things in our life that would otherwise not happen any other way. Amen. I, I would say this tonight, and maybe in this way, that when the Spirit of the Lord is moving in our services, we don't need to be in a hurry to get to the next order of business. We don't need to be in a hurry to rush right through that. Amen. What we need to do is when the Spirit of the Lord hears, is here, we need to say, linger, O oh Lord. Amen. Tarry in this place. Let us create an atmosphere, God, that is conducive for you being in this house. I have preached and I have held on to this conviction for years. There is no such thing. There should never, ever be such thing as an off night or an off service. I'm going to tell you that we ought to be just as susceptible to the moving of God on Wednesday night as we are Sunday morning in the first service or Sunday morning in the second service. Amen. There shouldn't be this little mindset, you know, well, I know it wasn't much tonight, but come back on such and such because that's when we just let all our hair down. No, no, no. Amen. We need to come into the house of God with a mindset. It doesn't matter what the calendar says says this is. It doesn't matter what day that the calendar says this is. Amen. We are in the presence of God and we need to have some spiritual impartation into our lives. Praise God. Abide with us here. It is the lingering. It is the lingering. It is the lingering that gives birth to something in our life. Amen. Let me go. Day is breaking. But Jacob said no. It is the lingering. It is the lingering of which something is given birth to. Jacob may have first wondered who in the world or what in the world had jumped on him. Amen. Because
because he didn't understand at first God's face was kept in darkness and his name was sealed in silence. I'm going to tell you tonight that we may not always understand what God is doing in our life, but when we feel and sense the presence of the Lord, amen, we need to open ourselves to the power and the anointing of what God can do even tonight. I'm going to tell you that it is not, we have not dismissed this service. The lights are still on. The word is still going forth. Don't discount what God can do in your life this very night. Amen. I don't ever want to abort what God is trying to give birth to in my life. I want to stand still and know that he is God. Jacob wrestled with God until he was changed through spiritual impartation. How many times I ask you and I ask myself, have we heard the word of God and we've left unmoved and unchanged because our calendar and our clock and our life was so cluttered and busy until we went home and if somebody had called us on the way home from church, we couldn't have given them an honest answer of what the preacher preached about because we're just overwhelmed and overcome with so many other things. Amen. Jacob wrestled. He was changed. How many times have we felt the shaking of God's presence and refused to tremble at His word? Here enough to be touched, but not enough to be changed. Amen. We wade in the shallow pools of of yesterday's experiences because that's where we're comfortable. Because I know about yesterday. I already walked through yesterday. Amen. We worship to a point. We pray to a point. But is it possible that we are ourselves refusing individually to go further and deeper in God because we know that in order for me to be transformed, I've got to be wounded. The Spirit is speaking tonight. It's not just your pastor preaching, but the Spirit is speaking. Are we just comfortable in yesterday's experiences because that's a shoe that fits. It's already broken in and I don't have to worry about that. And if I reach for more, God is going to wound me. Brother J.H. Osborne in his own unique fashion, and I quoted this not long ago. And if you don't know Brother Osborne, please don't take this out of context. But he said, he said if before God ever uses you, he'll take, he'll take you to the kitchen of sorrow and make you lick every pot. <laughs> True. I've heard him say many times, before God will ever use someone greatly, he will wound you deeply. Is it to wound because God's on a power trip? No, because he's trying to graft. I'm going back to that. He's going to graft something in, and he's going to pull it all together. Amen. We have to understand that to save our life, we have to lose it. To really walk with God, we've got a limp. <laughs> Amen, we've got a limp. And it's in the wounding God creates sensitivity to his spirit. You know, many people, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm closing, but many people who have, have had uh, literal wounds in their body can tell when a natural rain is coming. Amen. Long before there was the weather channel and, and the guy everybody's so scared of. <laughs> Long before all that, there were people that said, the sun's still shining, there's a rain coming. What in the world? How can you tell? Because of yesterday's wound. 
they could tell when a natural rain was coming because the pressures were changing. Amen. And I'm going to tell you that by the same token, there are many people that know what it's like to walk with the Lord and they also know what it's like to be wounded with the Lord and they can sense when God is stirring and moving because they've got wounds. They've got wounds. It was the hollowing touch in Jacob's thigh. That it was into that hollowing touch of Jacob's thigh that God planted a very wonderful blessing. And so if we're willing to be wounded, then God is willing to plant something in our life. I'm talking about spiritual impartation. But sometimes we avoid discomfort at all costs. I'm guilty. Anybody else want to join me? Amen. Just no discomfort. We want it, you know, in the, in the day of digital thermostats in our home, we know exactly what temperature we're comfortable in. And we can almost sense when it's one degree off. Am I right? got to do something about that one degree because we're getting a little uncomfortable because we want to be comfortable we don't want anything to interrupt our world amen and if we're unwilling to let go and let God move in our life in a divine way then we will never experience spiritual impartation amen so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and say, how many are ready to be wounded? I just want to send us all home with something to think about. That it's, if we want something grafted in, then somewhere we're going to have to make room and say, God, I know what this is going to require. Amen. Praise God. I want you to stand with me. Amen. This is what we call Bible study. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.